Hello. Hello. to Three Stooges Throwback, the comprehensive, encyclopedic compendium of all things Three Stooges. From woman haters to sappy bullfighters, from Curly to Shemp, and even to Joe. I am your host, Gabriel Russo, and I'm looking at all 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the Three Stooges comedy team. Hello and welcome back once again to the Three Stooges Throwback Podcast. I am still your host, Gabriel Russo, and we are still going over the 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the comedy team, the Three Stooges. This is episode 40. We are covering the short Saved by the Bell, B-E-L-L-E. First things first, I use Wikipedia. I use IMDB and threestooges.net to find all the tidbits of info for these episodes, of which this one is uh, pretty scant. But I usually watch them on Daily Motion, although now I'm watching them on YouTube on the uh, the Three Stooges All One Word account. They're all in 1080p, and they look fantastic. I've read almost every book on the boys, and I use my own brain to formulate opinions on the shorts, and I also regurgitate the opinions of others. But I am not an expert on the Three Stooges, just a knowledgeable fan. I make mistakes, I leave things out, but it's fine. Everything will be okay. With that said, let's get on with the show this week. Bell, Saved by the Bell, has a runtime of 17 minutes and 30 seconds, roughly. It was shot over four days, from December the 12th, 1938, to December the 15th, 1938, and was released on Friday, June 30th, 1939, so about six months. Curly, Larry, and Moe are the stars of this vehicle, and it was produced by Charlie Chase and Hugh McCollum, directed by Charlie Chase as well. Story and screenplay credits go to Elwood Ullman and Searle Kramer. Our, we have gone over, we've gone over all of them in the past, and there's not a whole lot um, listed, so, you know, I think we may have covered most of them, or those, you know, Charlie Chase, Hugh McCollum, Elwood Ullman, and Cyril Kramer. <laughs> Al Thompson here is one of our featured players. He's the wagon driver. He was the stunt double for comedian Andy Clyde in his later films. He was in, Al Thompson, that is, was in over 270 films. Leroy Mason here as Singapore Joe. He was in mostly westerns and silent and talkies. His career peaked in the mid-1920s. He had a bit part in, 19, in 1933's King Kong. He's in it and he complains about the price of the ticket to see the giant ape. He passed in 1947 after a month-long hospital stay due to a heart attack. The AP reported that he collapsed on set and died a few hours later. Weird that they would lie about it or get it so badly wrong or what have you. That's that's really weird. But, uh, you know, a month-long hospital stay as opposed to collapse and died on set. <laughs> Bobby Barber here is the, he is the siesta-ing barfly. <laughs> Abbott Costello used him as a court jester on set, on the set of their films. He would do pranks and stuff and practical jokes to keep things light. 
He was in over 100 feature films. In 1947, he was in The Wistful Widow of Wagon Gap and got $800. And in 1948, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. He was paid $25 per day. Uh, whenever I get any kind of salary stuff, I try and include it because it's always interesting to me uh, to see what they made back then. So 1947, he made 800 bucks for his whole part in uh, The Wistful Widow of Wagon Gap. And then one year later, he was at a day rate, 25 bucks a day. Huh. So Vernon Dent is Mike. We have covered him extensively. Carmen LaRue is Senorita Rita. <laughs> she was in 19 movies between 1927 and 1941. She was the maid in Citizen Kane. Unfortunately, sadly, she committed suicide at the age of of at the age of 32 in 1942. She drank poison due to her poor health, the LA News said. The LA Daily News said. We've got Gino Corrado as General Casino. <laughs> 425 credits for Gino Corrado. He worked from 1916 to 1956 and was in over 1,000 appearances in uncredited roles. That's the most I've seen um, in the researching this. The Three Stooges fan club is credited with buying him a headstone. So he had all those appearances and yet it took the, it took the Three Stooges fan club to uh, to buy him a headstone. He was best known for Microphonies in 1945 short as the Italian opera singer <laughs> against the boys. He appeared in 18 movies in 1939 alone. Can you imagine 18 movies? He's in one. He's in 18 movies. I mean, he wasn't the star, so it's not like you know George Clooney is in 18 movies this year. But it'd be like you know, I can't even think of it, of of you know, a character actor or somebody like this from now that would, <laughs> it's crazy to me that somebody would be in 18 movies in one year and the public would not get sick of them. So Bert LeBaron, he is the arresting officer. He was on a bunch of TV shows, but not much else about him is online. Some of the folks are listed in parts on uh, threestooges.net and yet, like, listed in the cast list. And then when you go and click on the computer and in the wider, you know, search, there's very little about them. And sadly, if I, if I can't, you know, I just move on. If I can't, uh, if it takes me a deep dive to find anything about the person, I, that's not this podcast. So the title card here features, quote, with Leroy Mason and Carmen LaRue. It's nice to get some credit. So this short opens on a flag waving in the breeze, Valeska, a thriving kingdom in the tropics. A guy pulls a wagon up to a stop sign in this sleepy little town. Uh, the crossing guard is asleep. Suddenly everything shakes and he wakes up and the sign and turns the sign to go. Everyone fell down when it, everything shook. So what the heck is going on with that? We're not sure. So we cut to the saloon. Even the bartender is sleeping. Vernon Dent comes up to Joe, who's played by Leroy Mason, tells him the ammunition is safely stashed in the hills. Are you ready to lead us against President Roby? He says, sure, I can close up any time. Just let me get rid of these three American salesmen. 
Cut to the boys. Curly has a huge bird cage, and the others have big trunks that read King Winter Outfitting Company. <laughs> King Winter, and they're in the you know they're in the tropics. So they've got two sleeping locals here. Curly checks one's pulse and says, "I think he's dead." <laughs> they unpack all their stuff anyway and go through their pitch. Curly says, "Believe it or not," and Mo says, "What?" Curly says, "I got an idea," and he runs off. Larry dons a full-length fur coat. <laughs> he calls it a chic kimono. It's a very chic kimono. <laughs> uh, it's a very chic kimono. You should have one. You should buy one. Ugh. That's a terrible Larry. <laughs> Curly comes back with a pillow tied to his butt, and he flops down. He said, I, they'll need this here. It's a shock absorber for earthquakes. <laughs> Leroy Mason is Singapore Joe. He comes out. He wants to talk to the boys about their bill. He's closing the hotel for the winter. The boys were just lamenting their lack of money, and the boss won't send any. The bill is uh, room and board. He hands them their bill, and it's a, a, a room and board and then a list of beers. <laughs> they argue who had which. Their telegram uh, just came this morning, so they might have some dough. But when they read the message, it says, uh, you know, there's no passage money until they sell your wardrobe, so they're stuck there. They hear a machine gun going off. It's a guy who didn't pay his debts. Has just been executed. That's the law in Valeska. And Curly says, people like that deserve it. <laughs> Mo says, we got money upstairs. Let's all go get it. Which is pretty good. <laughs> what kind of fool do you take me for, says Joe. And Curly says, why? Is there more than one kind? But Joe goes in their room to get the money. And they lock him out. Or they lock him in and uh, and run off. So now they're selling their wares on the street. And uh, two cops come and ask for their peddler's license. And Mo says, we aren't peddlers. We're salesmen. Super salesmen. But he thinks they're spies. And the bird that's in the cage says, they're spies. They might be spies. And so Mo wants to shoot the bird. <laughs> he says, give me your gun. Let me shoot that bird. But they are taken... They look, uh, they look at all the people and they're all wearing these earthquake shock absorbers, which is pretty funny. They've got t uh, pillows tied around their butts. So he says, uh, come with us for questioning to General Casino. And Curly says, well, we don't play casino, but how about some rummy? <laughs> so Curly is flirting with Carmen LaRue as the general is reading their papers. Mo thinks that she is flirting with him. And, uh, so they're both giving her the eye, you know. They are accused of being spies again, and Carmen says the fat one doesn't look like a spy. He looks innocent. But Curly says, ah, I've been around. Like, I'm not not that innocent, you know. The general is going to let them go when uh, the bird suggests that he search the boys. This damn bird. president's name is Ward Roby. Ward Roby. Their no he finds their note from their boss that reads that they must get rid of Ward of their wardrobe. So he thinks that they are assassins. <laughs> so there, he pulled out the door and they all get stuck in the door. They're being pulled through. It's a pretty, pretty funny little bit. You know, all three of them get stuck. As they go through, Curly looks at the, Curly says, this is all your fault to the general, which is great. Now they're in the dungeon and Carmen, Carmen, Senorita Rita comes and, uh, she brings them food and soup. They decide to give the soup to the guard. Mo walks right out of the cell. And gives him the soup and then walks back in. <laughs> he calls the garden an ignoramus and goes back in the cell. So he can just walk out at any time. So they start to eat and they find um, saw blades in the bread and a hammer in the pie. And they find a note in the chicken that says, meet me for a job. 
And every time the uh, the guard outside slurps his soup, they file the bars, you know. So it's you know. Then there's an earthquake, and all of a sudden, a humongous hole just opens up in the wall, and so they run out. They escape. The boys uh, search the general's desk for a map. They find it, and they will be rewarded, says Carmen. Curly has his arm around her, and uh, Mo takes some salt, puts it on his hand, and bites it <laughs> to get his arm off her. So there's another earthquake, and Mo drops the map, but he picks up another document, mistaking it for the map, and then they run out and get in the car. It is a gale outside, but their car is up on blocks, and the wheels have been stolen, so that's rough. So they run, and they find a horse, a swayback nag. I mean, this thing looks wild. These swayback horses have made me feel so bad for them because it can't be good for them, you know? Poor thing. So they ride it a minute, which is just terrible. Like, oh, man. Then they, they lead it with a three-person bicycle. And, and finally they reach the rebel camp in the hills. And the boys bring the map, quote-unquote, to the leader who has been waiting to attack. The rebel leader is Singapore Joe, and he wants to shoot the boys. But... He turns, he says, oh, no, you, you know, you give me the map. And so they give him the map. But it's a beer advertisement instead. So they sit down to eat, and it's just bones. And uh, Joe and Vernon Dent are mad, and they're like, you you brought this, you know. And But Rita comes and saves them. She's got the real map. So their reward for uh, bringing this map is to be drafted into the army. Great. You'll be, you'll be commissioned. Curly says, commission? That's not straight salary or nothing. <laughs> Mo says, yeah, he's temperamental. 95% temper and 5% mental. <laughs> We've heard that one before, but it's still good. They are led over to a wall and leaned up against the wall. And there's holes all in it behind them. Curly thinks it's woodpeckers. <laughs> but they think they're going to get their picture taken. And uh, the firing squad lines up as the boys are taking their hats off. Curly comments that he's going to send, I'm going to send one home to Elaine. And my first thought was, I wonder if that's made up or if that's a reference to someone. And we'll find out later. <laughs> um, an earthquake hits right then and the firing squad is knocked all askew and they miss. The boys run off. They jump into a truck marked explosives, handle with care, and they drive away. And they're, you know, they're making their getaway. Curly uh, lights a cigar and he's relaxing, you know. He's like, what? So they find they send the the from the lighting his cigar. They you know they smell smell something burning. And uh, Curly thinks a hand grenade is a pineapple. It's pretty funny. What's that smell? They say, and it's dynamite. You know, it blows and they land on the swayback nag from earlier. All three of these bo of the boys on this poor horse's back. It bucks them off. I mean, they're not, I'm sure they don't sit on it very long. You know, they were all animal lovers. It bucks them off. You don't even really see them sitting on it. You see them kind of land on it and then in a quick cut. It bucks them off and then that's the end. So this is the final short directed by Charlie Chase. Well, yeah, the final student. Well, no, this is the final short directed by Charlie Chase. He would pass away in 1940. So one year later. When uh, Curly mentions Elaine, like I was mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, he he is talking about his wife, Elaine Ackerman. I think that's cool. You mentioned when you when you break that wall, you know, you bring in realism into it. 
Uh, Curly almost laughs and breaks character when the, in the quick cut when they land on the horse at the end. He's got a funny look on his face. He's definitely about to start laughing. He's probably commenting like something about this horse or something. I'll bet you. <laughs> Uh, the reviews for this one are not great. There were, there are, there's a lot, there is not, pardon me, not a lot online about this short. Not a lot of behind the scenes type stuff. But the, and the reviews are not all that great for this one. And most of them hold the plot to blame. The boys are good in this one. The Curly has some good lines and some good business. But the plot is pretty weak. It kind of seems just thrown together. And I, I mean, we know it was rush, 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 and especially when Charlie Chase is directing, um, we've heard from the, a few in the past that he would, uh, he was really into getting done before, uh, before deadline. And so I don't know if he was getting a bonus or what, but I know they were rushing through. So threestooges.net gives this one a 7.49, which is, uh, pretty low. I mean, pretty low overall for their scores for Three Stooges shorts. I think that score for this one is probably a bit generous. Um, this one didn't have a whole lot to it and was kind of on the low end of uh, of, of the boys' output. Um, so I'm going to go with a 7 for this one. 7.49, the Three Stooges.net, and I will go with a 7. I'm going to put my, uh, my um, spreadsheet online here on the website. At some point, so you guys can check it out, and uh, I'll read out what I think, you know, what's the number one and of each year and all that. We'll go through that. But for the, as far as this one goes, that is going to do it. I wish there were more behind-the-scenes info about this one. Uh, maybe I'll get a book, like a production book. You know, the, I know the Three Stooges put one out, you know, on, I think, with stuff about every short. Um, most of the stuff I read I got from the library once upon a time, so, but maybe I'll end up getting one of those and, uh, you know, using it as an addendum to, uh, supplement kind of the low ebb stuff, but probably not. So anyway, uh, tune in next time when we will look at the next short, Calling All Curs. Thanks for listening. Thank you once again for the nice messages that I get about the podcast. You can go to anchor.fm if you want to make a podcast. It's a good free site. It takes out of the, all of the guesswork. Uh, makes it pretty easy to monetize. It's not so easy to get your money. There's no limits on the size, but that's good. They have less, uh, when I first started on Anchor, they had, um, way more money making opportunities and the past few months they have really slacked and I haven't been able now. It could be that I don't have enough listeners to the podcast to, you know, qualify for the next tier of advertisers or something. I don't know. So, uh, but please rate and review to that end. If you could rate and review the show, that would be fantastic. If you guys like the show, you know, rate it, review it, tell all your other Three Stooges fan friends to listen to this podcast about the Three Stooges and their uh, their shorts. And uh, that would really help. Maybe we'll get the audience up, and then I can have some more money-making opportunities. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, anyhow, that kind of stuff really helps. If you are a fan, please give me a five-star review. If you are not a fan, just leave it alone. 
Anyway, I have once again been your host and chief knucklehead, Gabriel Russo, broadcasting from Stude Studios at the back of the house. See you next time. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>